welcome to a new episode of Black Future Doctor, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the experiences of Black doctoral students in the UK. I'm Nina, I'm a first year psychology PhD student at the University of Bath and I'm your host. Today I have with me Davy Mankwokwe Namasanya, who is studying for a PhD in sociology at Abate University. Hi Davy, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. No worries. All right. First, can you tell me a bit more about yourself and the subject of your PhD? Yeah, so I am currently in my second year. I am uh, doing a PhD, as you have said, in, uh, in sociology at Abate University. I am uh, researching on uh, eco-grief, uh, climate change and uh, changing order practices in Malawi. I am uh, using ethnography to understand how communities in Malawi are adapting and navigating around the impacts of climate change, especially on uh, issues of water. I'm looking at water in a holistic fashion or as a total social fact, other than just a biological or other sense of fact. Yeah, brilliant. Great. Could you explain to me what you mean by eco-grief specifically? Eco-grief, I would describe it as um, the expressions that people do have or people do show over the impacts and the process of uh, climate change. So this can either be emotional, it's mostly really emotional, or it can even be physical. So I am mostly interested in how communities, I would say, in the global south, but particularly really in Malawi, are expressing themselves to the loss of uh, physical or other features that are associated with uh, climate change. Brilliant. Thank you. So when did you first consider pursuing a PhD and what made you interested in this topic? Initially, I, I did my master's uh, at Durham University. I finished in uh, 2015. When I had uh, finished my master's, mm-hmm. I was thinking that's the end of the journey, really. And I thought, okay, I've done my master's, that's, that's enough. Then when I returned to Malawi, I joined a research institution. I think uh, two years after being here, I joined a health research institution. Mm-hmm. And I think it was from that position that my interest in a PhD was uh, took more, more of a shape, I would say. Working in a research institution, working with, uh, with researchers, PhD students, postdocs, you start to realize the impact that research has you start to get Mm -hmm. a deeper interest in research. It was from that position, really. At that time, I was mostly interested in uh, ethnography as well as uh, medical humanities and social justice, which are the issues that have really been of my interest. Mm -hmm. So it was from that point, really, that I started to get interested in a a PhD. But then previously, I was thinking that my PhD would be more uh, tailored towards health research and not uh, like climate change or water. Yeah. So I guess we've spoken about this a little bit before, but um, with that application process, so it sounds to me that you decided that you did want to pursue a PhD. How did you go about then finding this PhD? Uh, so for the PhD that I do hold right now, the studentship that I do hold right now, it was an advertised project. And uh, the project was in Malawi. They were looking for somebody with experience in qualitative research, which was basically my field. And and an interest in in ethnography, which was also my interest and my field as well, as well as uh, some somebody interested in creative writing, which is a, which is also another side of me. So it was actually a friend who saw it and said, "This seems to be a match for you. I think basically you would feel home in this project. It would it's something that would interest you." I thought, 
Well, I am mostly interested in health research. Yes, of course, there is the ethnography, there is the social justice aspect, there is the creative writing aspect, but then it was a different field, I would say, like the field of, of water studies. It was, it was a different field for me. But because there were a lot of other issues and it was interdisciplinary and even my experience of working in a health research institution was also interdisciplinary, I said, let me mm -hmm. uh, give it a try. So I applied for it. Yeah, brilliant. So it kind of just ticked all your boxes, really, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after you applied for it, can you talk me through what happened next? So yeah, the, I, I, I'll try to remember as best as I can. The, the first step was to to declare interest and then put in an application. So it was uh, it was it was a personal statement and then a CV. Uh, sending to the to the school and indicating interest why you're interested in the in the phd what you bring to them and for me most really because it, it, it spoke to me personal as well the issues that they were looking at for example issues of water having grown up in malawi having lived in malawi for almost all of my life up to now it was uh, something that I've grown up witnessing and then seeing the changes as well in the issues of access to water. That's what I used to build my case. Mm -hmm. So I made an application, a personal statement, which was quite really personal because the project was personal as well, as well as sent in yeah. my CV. After that process, then I got an email that I've been shortlisted. And, and then they said that for the next round, then uh, we had to submit um, a proposal, a brief proposal, I think, of about 2,500 words okay. of how we intended to go about the project. I did submit, and from there, I qualified as well for the uh, next and the last round where we had now to do interviews. And then uh, for the interviews, I think I had about 10 minutes, or the applicants really had about 10 minutes to present, to make a presentation yeah, of how they would approach the project. And then uh, from there, then yeah, it was an interview. I think it took us about about an hour, really. The last question I remember, they said, so yeah, it was basically the end was a question and answer session. And then the last question that I asked was, when should I expect the results or when the results be ready? And then they said, well, in a week's time, uh, the results will be ready. I said, mm -hmm. does this mean like the results will be ready even if I'm not successful? Well, so here in a week, they said, obviously, yes. Uh, then about 30 minutes later, they go back to me and said, I think we want to make an offer to you. Would you be interested to take it out? I said, obviously. <laughs> that's not a week. Yeah, that's how, that's, how I was, that's how I came for the interview. So yeah, that, that's the brief of it. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for explaining that. Because I think something I've talked about on different episodes as well is that there are so many different ways into a PhD and the application process can look so different. You know, sometimes your PhD, you kind of create it yourself and apply for funding. Other times the funding and the PhD topic come together and you've got to do it in a different way. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. So I know you primarily use ethnographic methods. Yeah. Can you explain a bit more about what those are and I guess how you approach it as a researcher with, you know, that researcher hat, but also that personal hat as well? So yeah, the ethnographic the ethnographic methods that I am I am using are mostly relying on participant observation. This is for the first phase of uh, of my study because I kind of split the study into two phases. Where for the first phase I will do the participant observation, and then for the second phase I will start to do more structured interviews with um, with community members as well as uh, other important uh, uh, people in the society. For example, policymakers. 
when I was coming back, when I was coming back or when I was proposing to the, to the university saying, okay, I have to return back to Malawi. I chose uh, my home district. So in my situation is that I, when I was working, I was actually living in the urban area. And then I have also a home district where, for example, my parents come from. So I chose my home district uh, basically because, yes, firstly, it's my home. And uh, secondly, as I, as I talked about the research that I was more interested in doing something that basically benefits, uh, benefits, I would say, home as well as my own community and, and societies that have raised me. Uh, so I, I chose that. So I, have, I am still at that stage where I'm still negotiating access into the communities. When I was coming back, I was thinking actually that it would just be one community that I would be focusing on. But then I went back to the, to the district and then realized that even within the district, their relationships to water are quite different. And um, their experiences as well of climate change, uh, of uh, practices of water are also different. So uh, right now, I am still trying to, to find my feet, I would say, in the field, still negotiating access, uh, still trying to, to zero in and say, this is an apt community that I can fo focus on. So far, I think I have identified about three communities that I am uh, currently uh, working in. Yeah. So yeah, so you, you're currently doing field work. Yeah. Can you tell me about some of the positives of being able to go to Malawi and do field work in your home country? Well, I think the first positive is uh, how easy you find to kind of get into uh, the communities. I'm not just in my home country, but also I am in my in my home district. So <laughs> I feel a sense of belonging when, for example, I have to negotiate access, when I have to talk to people, uh, I find it easier to get access to, to those communities. It's mostly about uh, where do you come from? And when I say, okay, I come from such and such an area, when they know it, they say, oh, you're one of us. So in that way, I feel that it's easy actually to build trust with the people mm -hmm. and with the communities that I do work in, I, I would think it would be different to build this trust if I was going into a different community. Uh, there is that sense of, I know you, and therefore I can trust you. That also, I know that I, I am also able to observe some of the norms, some of the practices in the communities that I am working in because of my knowledge of, of those areas. So I think that's the that's the first positive. I think the, the second positive, then it would be time, time and context specific that right now with, uh, with the pandemic really around us, I think it's a little bit easier being back here uh, because my first year I was in Scotland and I, had only, I only stayed for two weeks before a lockdown was imposed. Okay. So I came to Scotland only for two weeks and then went into a lockdown and, and I think it was hard. And coming back here where they are, they are friends, they are friends, there, there mm -hmm. is family and it's a familiar context and then with the pandemic it's it's a bit easier i would say mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i guess the opposite of that what have been some of the challenges the challenge actually would also be the same familiarity that there, there is a lot that you do take for granted and then to start looking at your own communities in a different light to start looking at them as uh, as a learner, as if you're somebody who has to learn from them without taking everything mm. uh, or, or the things that you already know for granted has been some sort of a challenge. It's a challenge that I have to be navigating around. Uh, I always have to be reflecting to say, okay, I've seen something. 
it's something that would maybe make sense to me as a Malawian, as somebody who, come, who, who, who comes originally from there, but it wouldn't make sense to another person who doesn't come originally from there. Mm -hmm. So it's also that very same familiarity. Uh, so in one way, the familiarity is, a, is an advantage. In another way, it's a disadvantage. Yeah. I definitely reckon with, I guess, qualitative work as well. I know that when I've done work well I guess I've had an insider perspective maybe I've done interviews or something and there are things I just will take for granted and if I hadn't known so much about it I would have probed exactly and potentially gotten richer data yeah yeah and I think and I think that's something that I'm always I'm always doing for example after every day after every day of you like that's something that I'm reflecting on and I'm thinking I saw that thing would I say that that thing is ordinary and to learn that nothing is ordinary really and everything has to make sense. And uh, yeah, I think that right now, if there is a skill that I am still developing at this time that I'm still negotiating access, making initial observations, is actually to be reflective in my approach. Yeah, I think reflection is so important with this kind of work. You've got to constantly be yeah. not second guessing yourself, but just like questioning everything to get the most out of it yeah yeah and how have you found kind of I guess managing expectations because I know you know you've got academics on one hand perhaps saying one thing but then you know you're in the community and you might be seeing a different thing oh, well yeah I, I had a conversation about about two weeks ago with my with my supervisors and one of the issues that really dominated that conversation was how then do you come in as a research and at the same time you're an insider mm -hmm. if, for example you go into a community the third community that i talked about uh so for example the there is there is a, a, a small stream that the community use and then it's used for almost every other purpose there is a boho but then it's at a distance so they just have to go to the boho and get some water just maybe for example for drinking but then almost every other thing they use that small stream and as a person as somebody who, you're not just a researcher, you're basically home. That hates you in some way. And then you, you always have to think, here, what role, for example, would I take? Am I going to be somebody who is just going to say, okay, I just came here to do my research, or basically an insider. The pain that these people are experiencing is a pain that's similar to you. But at the same time also, I have to be aware that I don't just come into these communities and say, okay, I am researching on, uh, on the water issues and, and promise them heaven on earth that the moment, I, the moment I leave, then yeah, somebody is going to come and fix this situation or this situation is going to be fixed. And at the same mm -hmm. time, as I have said, the second phase of my research is also about working with policymakers, working with decision makers, key decision makers in those communities who would, for example, give such communities water even at this stage where I'm doing my observations, I am already trying to build those relationships. And you also don't want to, you don't want to ruin those, those relationships, really. By, for example, being militant and saying, okay, this is what is happening in the community. And then in your offices, this is what the reports are saying. You should go and do A, B, C, D, E. Or you, should, or you get to mobilize the communities and say, okay, let's go and do A, B, C, D, E. So it's, it's still a challenge that I would say I'm learning to navigate. Mm -hmm. That uh, there are expectations from the community there are expectations from the university and, and the academia as a whole about, oh, okay, what sort of work are you going to produce to us? And then there are also expectations from these other uh, policymakers, key decision makers, for example, at district level. So this is, uh, is, this is something that I am still learning. Yeah. 
All right. We have been talking about it, but just to ask a specific question, I suppose, you know, as an international student, how has that impacted your PhD journey in the UK? I would say I think it's been it's been a little hard. I I don't know if it's in the same way as sad as it would be for students within the UK. But for example, as an international student, I first of all had to have a, a master's degree because in my in my first degree it was just a bachelor's degree. It wasn't an honors degree, then yes, I had to have a master's degree. Before before I went to Abate, I had applied to other schools but I couldn't get the funding. I would be offered the place, but I couldn't get the funding. And then, yeah, it was impossible to say, okay, I'll, I'll leave Malawi, travel to the UK without without the PhD funding. And yes. um, yeah, and even despite and even despite that, for example, I I did my masters I did my masters in UK. There were still some other schools that would, for example, say, you have you have to do an English test because obviously they said like, okay, you did your I finished my masters in twenty in twenty fifteen. It's like okay, it's been it's been over two years. All those things, really, they would, well, they, they might look as if they are simple, but they are in a way challenging mm-hmm. to, to, to an international student. And then even having to relocate. And I think for, for the structure of my PhD, where one year I was in UK, and then I come here as well uh, uh, for, for another year, then I also have to go for, for, for back uh, uh, to, finish, to finish the PhD. It's, it's I, would say, I would say, chaotic in some way. It's, it's yeah. difficult to kind, of, yeah, to kind of adjust to. Yeah, definitely. It kind of sounds like to me, it may seem on the surface, these are just these little extra things you have to do, but it builds up over time, I think, and and can be quite a massive barrier to doing the PhD. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say, really. And I, and I found it a bit challenging as well, even in some other, even in some other contexts, for example, if uh, the, the, the previous applications that I would make, for example, for funding, where others would decide to say you don't have you don't have enough publications, and you're thinking that I'm just coming from a master's, really. Mm. I want to go on this journey because I want now to be putting out the publications. But then all those would come to say, okay, yeah, you don't have enough publications, therefore, yeah, we can't we can't give you the funding. So I felt that to be a bit of a to be a bit of a challenge, really, uh, in the in the application processes. Yeah, I'd also say that. The difficulty is I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that a PhD, you're being trained to be a researcher. And so I think sometimes with expectations to have publications and stuff like that, I think, you know, it, it will come with time. Um, I think it's really hard if that's a criteria, you know. Yeah, exactly. And and that's how and that's how it feels that's how it feels if you are an international student. You're saying, I want to I want to go through this path because I want to do this. And then they say, Okay, but but before you come on this path, you should already show that you can you can do this. And it's it's a contradiction of some sort. But because yeah, there is also that especially for funded for funded opportunities, there is there is that much competition among us international mm. students really than uh, students within the UK. So you want to be the best among us, let's say, even if for one application there are 15 or 20 applicants, you want to be the best among us, those ones. And one of those ways, really, is to have uh, that record. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I guess the final question I've got is, what is one piece of advice you would give to other Black international students considering pursuing a PhD? Well, I think I think uh, I, I am like I would say uh, when I was applying for 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 my PhD, I hadn't had a prior contact with my supervisors. 
uh, we only <laughs> met during the the very last uh, the very last phase where we, we had the interviews. But I think, yeah, maybe the fact that at least maybe yeah, within 30 minutes they said, okay, we want you on board. We kind of built a, a strong relationship. I think <laughs> the advice that I would say is, is mostly really on supervision. As I said that my first year, basically, it was the first day in lockdown after only staying two weeks in, 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 a, different, in, in, yeah. in, in a different country. And then you go in a lockdown. But then I think I had, I had a supervision. I had and I still have a supervision team that understood me. And that shows, I would say, so much trust in me. So I think my advice really would mostly be on the supervision. I think this is also advice that I was given by, by other people who, who, who had already gone through that. They said, okay, your supervision is everything. And especially for an advertised project, you're thinking, I don't know these supervisors. But yeah, I think if it's, even if it's an advertised position, I think if there is anything that I could have done better if I had the chance again, I think it would, it would be to make initial contact with the supervisors just to have that sort of, uh, that sort of, uh, of a briefing. Yeah, I think that's what I would say. Brilliant advice. All right, that's all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so much, Davy, for joining me. All right, thank you for having me, Nina. No worries. I had a great time chatting with Davy in this episode about his experiences of being an international student and doing research as an insider. I'm really interested in hearing from other international students who are doing research in their communities and how you manage all these different expectations. As usual, please tag any social media comments with the hashtag BlackFutureDoctor and please leave a review if you've enjoyed this episode. I'll be back next week with a new student and a new topic.